You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode 138 for Monday the 1st of July 2019. My guest today is Jerry Evanoff, the US-based first-time sci-fi author of Forgetting Tomorrow, book one in the Nightmares Through Time series. He's also the presenter of the New Author podcast, which he set up in October 2018 to chart his journey to publication. Now, Jerry is a regular attendee at 20 Books events, having been at both Las Vegas get-togethers and also flying to the UK for 20 Books London last year. I was keen to catch up with Jerry just before the launch of his first book and ahead of getting to meet him in person for the first time at 20 Books Edinburgh. That'll be his fourth 20 Books event now. When we spoke for the podcast, I began by asking Jerry when he first began to aspire to write that first book. I'm not the person who comes onto a podcast and says, I've been writing my whole life. I really haven't. Um, when I was, I think six or seven years old, I wrote a poem. Um, I put that, that's about as much as I've, I took, I think I took a creative writing class in the fourth grade. That's about as far as I've gone. Um, as a, as a, as a kid, even into my college years, I, I took a liking, this is going to be probably a story that no one else is going to tell you. I took a liking to a TV show back in like 2000 called big brother. And I'm sure over there, you know what that is. Mm. Um, and I became like this ultra super fan of this television show to the point where I would go to web, uh, starting in 2000, when big brother one started, I would go into websites, into forums and I would just read and read. And after a couple of years, I just started writing, you know, they were, they were encouraging people to write recaps of what happened on the live feeds. But the site that I went to wasn't like the normal sites where they just write, here's a sentence of what happened. And then this just happened. And that just happened. They kind of encouraged you to try to be funny and add your own personality to it. So I started writing recaps with these themes where I would come up with like, you know, here's, here's um, a bunch of eighties music. Here's a bunch of lyrics. And I would just incorporate lyrics into these recaps as I would go. Um, or I would write something about my personal life in there and I would just keep, and I would make up the dumbest things about myself. I'd lied half the time. I didn't care. It was so much fun. And, um, and over time I became a moderator on this site and I was writing show recaps and it was just so much fun to be able to write that stuff. And I've always been a big reader uh, but I never thought I want to do any kind of writing. And then, boy, five or six years ago, I was reading the I Am Number Four series, and I had never read a series before like that. Like everything I read, I love Agatha Christie. I love Tom Clancy. I love Sue Grafton. Those were all like books that went just from one into the next. You know, the characters carried over sometimes, but it wasn't an actual continuing series. And I started reading I Am Number Four, and I really loved how he would. Um, put out this book and then put out these novellas in between the next book coming out. I never heard of this before. They would introduce characters into the main series and you really, and they were coming out every three months and you really had to keep on top of it, which I did. I would get them and read them in like two days. And in the end of book, I want to, there were seven no novels and I believe 15 novellas. And I think the end of novel number six, he killed off a main character. I'm not going to spoil anything, but I was not happy. <laughs> And I believe, I think I may have said out loud, I can write better than this. And I love that series. And it was like, that was my first reaction. And 
not too long after that, I thought, well, maybe I can. You know, I like time travel and I like science fiction and I love Star Wars. Why can't I write these kind of things? You know, I'm, 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 I'll be standing in a bank line and I'll just start imagining, okay, if that guy's the bank robber, how am I going to be the hero? And I, this whole story just comes into my head. And um, I just decided one day I was going to do it. And I, and I did. Right, that is the most original startup story ever, Jerry. So congratulations, you've just won the prize for that. <laughs> Thank you. But um, so it sounds to me like you've got your writing muscle exercised on the Big Brother writing, you know, because it, it you don't just sort of leap in and you're able to write. But this book's grown like Billy. I mean, I, I, I obviously started following your story when you started the podcast but I, I was jumping onto a moving bus at that stage you know the, the, yeah. the, book, the book was written wasn't it you were kind of you'd already written the first draft I think hadn't you by that stage yeah I um I sat down one day and wrote the, it was Christmas it was the week between Christmas and New Year's in 2016 I, I, I went to Home Depot and Joanne Fabrics with my mom and we bought a a giant um four by eight uh, what do you call it? Insulation board, like cork board. And then at Joanne Fabrics, she showed me something called duck cloth, which I had never heard of. I cut this board into different pieces and I made these giant bulletin boards that are hanging in my, on my, in my back room. The kind of thing you would see like on a police procedural where they've got yarn everywhere. And, um, I sat for a week and I wrote note cards out for everything that I wanted in this plot. And by the time I was done, I had, you know, 30 chapters and, and I was ready to go. I wrote the first draft in the first uh, four months of 2017. And then I decided for some really dumb reason that I wanted books one, two, and three to run concurrent with each other from different characters' points of view. So then I wrote the first draft of book two and the first draft of book three. And that was my whole two seven, 2017. And I spent the beginning of 2018 um, making sure that all the scenes that overlapped made sense. So my first attempt at writing was a time travel series with multiple lines with concurrent books. I mean, it was just the dumbest thing I could have done. And oh my, it's so much fun, by the way. And then in 2018, that's when I started the editing that I was doing with my mom, where I would send her a chapter and she would just rip it apart, send it back to me. And we'd go back and forth three or four times before it was finally finished. I started the podcast in 2018 for a couple reasons. Number one, I wanted... Um, accountability. I wanted to be able to say out loud, this is what I'm doing. So that if I didn't do it, I would feel a little bit of guilt. And, um, number two, because my friend's eyes glaze over when I talk about it after about 30 seconds and I want to be able to just talk out loud. So when you jumped on in 2018, when the podcast started, I was about halfway through editing book one and the first drafts of book th two and three are already finished. And this is what I find remarkable, Jerry, because I'm really impatient when I write. I want that book out as soon as possible. But here you are. I mean, this edit seems to have taken for, uh, forever. It's taken a long time. And also the, the book keeps growing in size, doesn't it? It's like it's like the blob your book. Do you remember how it just kept growing in the film? It, it just keeps growing. And, and so I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about books two and three. Uh, are they are they going to grow the same way? I, I really hope not. Book one was 59,000 words when I was finished it, with the first draft when it had um, two point, points of view. Po I never had to say that point of views, points of view, points of view, um, I think, yeah. points of view. And it was my my good guy and my bad guy. It was it was from their point of view. I wanted my I needed my bad guy's point of view in there because I needed to show why he became the bad guy. And but book two now is from the point of view of one of the characters who's mentioned a little bit in book one but it's sort of mysterious that first draft i, I think is around thirty-three thousand words so even if it does double in size like book one did it only go to about sixty thousand. so i should be okay um and then working with my mom like i did i understand you know my biggest weakness in in her editing 
you know, the things that she would point out to me was I don't put enough description in and I don't put enough emotion in, but when she points out the spots to me that I need to put those things in, I think I do a pretty good job of, of doing it. So I, I hope going into book two, I don't need her. And I'm going to ask her for her help, but I'm going to fight with my sister for her time apparently. But, um, I, uh, I'm really excited about, about getting into book two and working on that. I really love that character. So I'm really excited about getting into book two. And what about the patients involved though, Jerry, because you know, you know, you've got, you've got two books written sitting there, you know, gathering dust while you're working on the first one, getting it ready for launch. I, you know, I would be, I wouldn't be patient enough to, to release them over that amount of time. How, how are you managing that? I think, um, the biggest thing that's helping me, you know, not worry about getting it finished is, I, I saw how book one changed from this really ter- – I mean, everybody says their first drafts are terrible, and this one was just the same. It was just as bad. But, like, over time, I saw how it turned into this really, in my mind at least, really good story. So I'm not too concerned about getting it out there fast because I want to make sure it turns into that really good story the same way book that one did. And I also think that I, I'm not, I'm not um, enjoying the fun of – seeing book one sell like crazy, but it's pretty possible that when I see book one actually start to sell, um, and, and I'm doing the mark, I'm actually looking forward to doing the marketing and I'm not a people person. Um, and, and I think that might hasten it a little bit and make me want to get finished. But my mom's really good at like, um, keeping me under control and, and making sure like she's told me a few times, you know, you're rushing this, you're rushing this. Don't, don't put this out there until I see it again. So she's been pretty good at, at that. Um, she's really actually really good as an editor. I keep telling her she should do it professionally, but she retired and doesn't want to do that. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I mean, let's talk about that because most people will say, don't let friends and family edit your book. And I I listen to your tales of your mum editing and um, you have something in the podcast. Is it mum's comment of the week or something? Which which is sometimes like, I really feel for you because she doesn't sort of spare your blushes at all, does she? She's she's really quite punishing with her feedback. How's that gone? You haven't sort of fallen out with it. You're happy to take direction from your mum still. Oh no, it's fantastic. She's great. It's it's funny because like she's called me immature so many times, and I know she's ca- calling the writing immature. She's not calling me immature. And and my favorite is when she tells me I sound like a hillbilly, and and she'll tell me cross that word out of your vocabulary and never ever use it again. The word "got" was big with her. She didn't like the word "got" because it sounded hillbilly to her, and um, you know, kind of southern and 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 uneducated that kind of thing, and um. So, so I, I love it. It's funny because every three or four chapters she would send me, she would email me and say, okay, I did just, I just did chapter four. And then she'll say, and by the way, I hope I'm being, I hope you're okay with this. I mean, when I was a kid and she'll tell me this story about when she was younger and a professor did it to her and, and she was really happy. And like, she tries to soothe the blow every time, but really I, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm very thick skinned. I don't care what people think about me. And if, and I trust her that if there's something wrong with it, then there must be something wrong with it. So I'm, I'm, I'll take all the criticism I can get from her. Yeah, you see, I've, I've heard you say this too, that you're thick-skinned and you really don't care what people say about you. Now, you see, I'm yeah. not thick-skinned. And I listen sure. to you and think, well, how, how would you do that? What's, you know, what kind of tips and advice have you got for a thick skin? Because you certainly need it when those reviews come in. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have any advice other than, you know, I'm – I just do what I want to do. Like if, if somebody says, Hey, do you want to come over to my house? I'm not, I don't have a problem saying no to them for fear that I'm insulting them. I think it's, I I jokingly tell people that I live a selfish lifestyle and I don't mean selfish in the terms that, you know, don't share with people. I mean, my time is my time and I'm going to do with what, what I want. I'm going to enjoy what I want to do. And I'm, I'm sorry if, if you don't like what I'm doing, 
I'm not hurting anyone. So that's just how I'm going to live. And when it comes to people criticizing me, I don't know. I went through a really rough time between 2000 and 2010. I call it my previous life. Someday I'll talk about it on the podcast where I was really struggling. I was really depressed for a while. I just, I was poor. I was lonely. It was just a rough time. And I think once I got out of that, it was like, you know what? Nothing can ever get that bad again. So if you don't like me, then that's fine. I, you know, I may not like you or maybe I will. I don't know. So I, I don't know. I just, I just think that it's, it's, you know what it is. It's like that whole life's too short to care type thing. Um, I just, if you don't like me, you don't like me. That's fine. I think, it, well, to be honest with you, it's a good attitude to have, Cherry, because uh, particularly when you're doing what you're doing, uh, releasing a book, because you, you put your neck on the chopping block, I think, when you publish a book. You know, you expose your work in a way that not many people do in life, I think. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's true. I mean, you put it out there and there is a, a complete open forum for people to go in there and judge you and, and just tell the world how bad you are. Um, I don't know. I don't care. I think part of it's also during that previous life, I worked with uh, a lot of, um, football and basketball coaches and I would go into these, uh, uh, locker rooms to, to try to sell my software. And these guys were, were fun and they were funny and they, and I apologize. I don't know if I can say this, but they busted balls like crazy. And I think when you grow up with, in that kind of environment, the friends that I have, you know, none of my friends are computer nerds. Uh, they're not writing. They, they have wives and kids. They hunt. They're like real men. Like they're completely different from me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, I've grown up with those guys just, just killing me my whole life. And I've been doing the same thing to them. And I think maybe it's just cause I'm used to it. And I'm to the point where it's like, you know what, if you're my friend and, and you say that, that, that I'm fat, then you're just joking around and I don't care. But if you're some random person, what do I care what you think? You know, One of the uh, other things that I found really interesting on your podcast is you do talk a lot about your finances and you do talk about your weight goals as well. And one of the things I've started talking about, of course, is running. And I, I think a lot of the time, these things in our lives that we have to deal with and target really reflect our writing to a certain extent that you've got to have quite a lot of discipline for all of them can you just give us the sort of background between the kind of financial and, and, and the weight loss plans that you've had I know the weight loss has, has gone slightly to the wayside hasn't it? you were doing really well with it for a bit it always does I, I this believe me this isn't the first time I've done this um it, it's it's like my my weight is like a, a what do you call it? like an up and down thing it's like going over a roller coaster sometimes it's way up there and then I I get disciplined for a while and go back down and then I have a blast getting it back up there so um I, I didn't think I was gonna fail this time I was hoping the podcast would help me not fail but all the traveling that I've done for work the last five months it really and that's a, I know that's an excuse but it really kind of knocked me off that roller coaster the 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 weight uh, the financial thing, it all, it all started. So, so in my previous life, like I said before, I was really struggling. Uh, I mean, my bank account was in the negative more than it was in a positive for about four straight years. And it was because I was trying to get this business to work and I loved it. And I so wanted it to work. And finally in 2010, I got fired from my job. The best thing that ever happened to me. And I got a new job doing what I like. And I'm sitting in a cubicle and I work for a corporation and I love every second of it. And, um, so I started ha having to spend the first two or three years really um, getting getting my finances back to just where I was okay again. Like I, you know, I owed a lot of money to a lot of you know banks and credit cards and friends and family. So over the next two or three years, I really worked on doing that. And then after that, the next two or three years, you know, my house was a mess. I kind of wanted to go on some vacations, which I still do. But so I spent the next two or three years taking out loans 
and financing things because I needed a furnace and I needed a roof and I needed siding. And I needed air conditioner. I needed carpet and doors and windows and all this stuff to kind of put my house back together. So last summer, um, all that stuff was for the most part finished. And I was, it, it really, it's three things that happened to me in, in about a two week span. I was walking with a friend of mine at work and, and we, her and I were kind of comparing salaries. We, we knew already that we made the same amount of money. And at one point she said to me, you know, you're, you're, you make too much money to live paycheck to paycheck. And I thought, ah, you're kind of right about that. And then, I mean, within a couple of days, I was talking to a friend of mine online and, and she was, couldn't find her paycheck or her checkbook. And I said, well, you really want to find it. You don't want to bounce a check. And she said, well, that's not going to happen. I've built up a nice little balance. And I was like, really? Because I know what you do. It was it's shocking. But the, the biggest thing was my sister texted – she put on Facebook a house right down the street from her that was for sale. And it was like $285,000. It was an expensive house. It was really nice. And, and I was like, man, I really wish I could buy that. And then I looked at my finances and went, holy cow, I owe all this money to all these people. You know, and my house is – I, you know, I still owe a ton of money on my own house. There's no way I could buy it. So I just started talking to her because uh, she's always, she's finance major and really good with finances and everything. And she said, well, here's what you do. And she gave me three or four pieces of advice. She showed me how to create a spreadsheet. Uh, and she told me to read Dave Ramsey's, I think, Total Money Matters book. And I read it uh, last summer, I think in July and decided that minute, okay, let's do this. And I sat down and put together this plan to, to it's the snowball effect pay off all my debt over the next year and a half with the exception of my house and then put all my money on my house after that until it's paid off. And within four or five years, I'm completely debt free. And the hope was, you know, I'm completely debt free right around the same time that I have seven, eight, nine books out. And if I just want to quit my job and pick up and move and I, it all, another one other thing that really made a difference was at 20 books Vegas in 2017, I remember watching Brian Meeks, Brian Meeks came up on stage to start his speech and he said something like, Oh yeah, I just drove in from my house in like Iowa and tomorrow I'm meeting with a realtor. And like two days later, he's like, oh yeah, I just got a place and I'm moving to Vegas. And I was like, oh, that is such amazing freedom to have. I want that freedom. And uh, so I started putting that together also. Yeah, this is really interesting because I think um, so often our author goals are tied up with our life goals. And that's why I find your story um, so compelling to listen to on the podcast every week because you really get a sense of, um, I call it a pincer movement where, you know, you've got your health, you've got your finances, you've got your writing, you've got your work, you've got your house. And all of these things take a little step forward. But you've got that little dot in the distance. And, and for you, it sounds like it's freedom. It's freedom for me as well, too. Really important value, I think. Yeah, it is absolutely about freedom. Um, I love my job. I, I mean, I have that. I've talked about that 65 minute drive. I don't even care about that. It's, you know, my days are not nine hour days or eight hour days. They're 11 and a half hour days because I have that big long drive and I write during lunch. So those are long days and, you know, the, and I get paid well, but some sometime down the road, it would be nice to to be able to get up just at seven seven thirty and go write in the morning. I, I think Mark Dawson does that, where he writes in the morning and then he has lunch and then he does his marketing and stuff in the afternoon and then he has the rest of his night to himself and his you know his wife and kids and everything. And I would I would that's that is the dream right there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, but how do you get on with time organization? I mean, it's been very interesting because I know you you're you're just coming to the culmination of a big software project at the moment and yeah. and it's so. It's so hard when your routine gets knocked, isn't it? I mean, this is probably why your your diet's been struck because you're constantly on this plane. You're up early. I mean, you you have a very good routine most of the time, but this project seems to have really knocked you out at the moment. Yeah, and this week's going to be even worse because this week we're actually training, and the place that we're going, they're on. You know, they have three shifts the manufacturing floor, so you know 
tomorrow I'm leaving at 7.30 and I'm probably not leaving. You know, we're, we're on the, luckily we're on the corporate jet again, so we can fly right into the city. And, um, you know, I'll probably leave the building around five or six. And then Tuesday and Thursday, I'm working 4 a.m. to 3 p.m. both days. And then Thursday, it's 4 a.m. to 2 p.m. when the jet leaves. But if the jet, if we have to stay, we can stay because, it's, again, it's our jet, so we can stay until we need to go. That's going to re- – and I want to get this novella finished. I wanted to publish it July 9th with my book, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I'm going to try to write in the afternoon. In, in terms of time management, I really – don't have anything like I always hear you talk about on your podcast. You know, I, in fact, yesterday you were talking, I'm going to write 5,000 words on this day, this day, this day, and then this day. And then by this time, this book's going to be done. And man, I wish I could do that. I, I, the, the only real time management I have is I know that between 1130 and one o'clock on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm going to be writing my book because I can't, I, I go to lunch and I can't, go home. I have, cause I have to go back to work. So, Hey, I have 90 minutes free. I might as work, might as well work on my book. But, and, you know, uh, but you know, I really admire the way you do it, you see, because you, you know, this, your, your, your experience is, is more typical than mine is in that I have, I have days off when I don't work, which allows me to do the writing. Whereas what you're doing is you're, you're putting it into pockets of time. And also you have a long day. I mean, when I hear you talk about your day, you know, getting up early, driving to work, I think that's a long day, Jerry. <laughs> I'm tired for you, for goodness sake, you know. So I think you do really well. And, you, and the other thing is you can write in different places. So you write on the plane and you write, what's the favourite restaurant? And it's a chain in America that I'm, I'm not aware of. It's um, well, I, On Saturday mornings, I write at Chick-fil-A every single, every yeah. single Saturday. Yeah. Um, and then there are three or four different places near my work. Uh, there's a there's a burrito place up there, and I I love chicken quesadillas. And there's a burrito place down here that I go to uh, most of the time, at least once a week. Um, and I'll go to Subway. Subway's really good. It has to have like the certain table. Like if I get in a high table, if I can sit against the wall so nobody's behind me, um, if the music is right, or I can put headphones on. Uh, there are certain places I've gone to. I can't sit in a booth. So there are certain places I love going to eat, but I don't go there because I can't write there. Yeah, it's really interesting because you're like a nomadic writer, and you <laughs> and you write in the plane. I think you've even said in the car, haven't you? You've been writing. Yeah, when we fly commercial to that place, it's a four-hour drive, and I always, I, I never drive. I tell them I'm not driving because I'll sit in the back of the car and just open my laptop. Or, uh, you know, I use um, for it's a good three hour. It's a four-hour drive, but for a good three hours, I'll just sit and write. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll plug my laptop into my uh, into my phone. I'll I'll get internet that way. But I use Google Documents, and I use an app called uh, Noveler. It's n o l n o v l r dot org, and they both allow offline mode, so you can write, and then the next time you connect, it just syncs everything up. Wow, so I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think you've got this lovely office, haven't you? And you can't write in it. Is that is yeah? It's <laughs> <is> hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I spent like a whole weekend, or actually it was a couple weekends upstairs in my spare room, moving everything out and and cleaning everything. I painted the walls. I moved a, a desk in there and a chair, and then I opened it up on a Monday morning. Uh, it was the mon- I think it was the Monday morning. I was off work back in January, and I sat down at the desk and thought, ah, this the dogs are here. There's a TV downstairs. I've got Alexa here. I, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so come on, so Jerry. <laughs> come on, you're going to get sorted in this office of yours. <laughs> oh, it's a complete discipline thing. I, like I have, there's a lot of things where I have no willpower, and that's one of them. I know it's a terrible excuse, and and uh, I, I know that if I did it over time, I would get used to it and it would be fine. But right now, it's it doesn't work so well. Let's talk about twenty books because you've got twenty books bad, haven't you? I think. I mean, you've been. Have you been to everything they've ever done except Bali? Is that is that right? Bali, and I haven't gone to Australia yet. 
Right, well, that's fair enough. I mean, that's yeah. fair. So um, you were... See, I was disappointed to hear that you'd been a Londoner. I, just, I must have walked straight past you in a corridor somewhere. That was very disappointed to hear. Um, so you've been at 20 Books London. You, you're going to Edinburgh, and you've been at uh, Las Vegas twice. Is that right? That is correct. So why have you got it so bad? What? Why? why how do you get so much from the 20 Books community? So it's... Listen, it's, it's a combination of... Um, knowing that there's a lot of stuff in there that I can learn and I have to soak it up and I'm not, I'm, I, I'm, I say that I'm an introvert. I, I don't know how to really explain what I am. I'm an introvert to the point where I don't really like to talk to people if I don't know them. But once I know them, I will talk their ear off and I won't shut up. Um, but like actually walking over, you know, they said, I think they said it, uh, 20 books, Vegas in 2018, you just walk over and you say, what are you writing? And that's how you start the conversation. And I didn't want to do that either. I just kind of sat off on one side, just like I did in London. I, I sat off on one side as far away from the door as possible. And during the break, sometimes I would go out there and, and have to bother them to get me a Coke because for whatever reason, there were no Cokes out there. And, um, but it, this past year in 20 books, 18, I did a little bit better, met some people, made some friends, um, which is good. And, um, the other, the other thing I'll be honest with you is I love Las Vegas. Um, I was going twice a year anyway. So it's like, well, here's another reason to go. And while I'm out there, I can pick up stuff on how to write. That's fantastic. And how to market and everything. That's great. And then when it came to London, it's like, I've always wanted to be there. I've always wanted to go there. I've always, I love uh, history and I love historical things. And, um, and you guys are a lot more history than we do. So it was really fun to, to go over there. And, you know, my sister had lived there for a couple of years. She went to school there and, um, so I texted her and said, hey, do you want to go back? And she immediately said yes. So it, it was kind of a touristy thing. But at the same time, I get to keep learning how to sell and, and meet people. You know, I met Mark Dawson. I met Joanna Penn. Uh, I'm a big fan of Martha Carr, you know, to, to, and I've met her a few times and she was there. And um, just, you know, so it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of selfish slash professional at the same time. Yeah, and you were you were there in London then when Martha Carr told that story. Doesn't she tell a powerful story about oh. her cancer and her health uh, problems? Remarkable, yeah, I walked, isn't it? I walked over to her in Vegas in 2018, last year, at Samstown, and there's a, an elevator. And I just kind of stopped her right by the uh, – no, not escalator. And I kind of stopped her right by the escalator, and I was like, you know – there, there is no other person at these shows who, who make me tear up a little bit when they're talking except you. And she was like, uh, is that a bad thing? I don't know. No, it's a really good thing. It's such a great story. Yeah, it is. And, you know, she really deserves it, doesn't she? I'm so happy to see her in this new house that she's got and things like that. You, yeah. you really deserve that, Martha. You really do. <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty sure she said she still works full time. Yeah. It's, yeah. She doesn't seem, I, I, I think she still does, doesn't she? Which is just remarkable. I don't know how she does yeah, it. but Amazing. Yeah, a brilliant story. So, I mean, you obviously still get lots of value from 20 books. And again, yes. why, why I like to listen to your podcast is because you're immersed in best practice. You know, you're, you're not just blundering through this. You've been listening, 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 listening. You're putting this all together and you're all pumped prime now to do a launch. So what have you kind of picked up from 20 books that you're going to use for your launch? Wow, that's a really good question. I mean, I'll be honest with you, before I started going to the 20 book shows, I really didn't know. I guess I learned about self-publishing just before that. Um, when I, I was listening to Sean, Johnny and Dave's podcast, that's the first thing I ever listened to in terms of publishing. And that's when I learned that self-publishing even existed. Like I didn't even know it was a thing. And then I got the 20 books and you, I think the, 
Oh, wow. I mean, just learning about marketing and, and learning about Amazon and, and um, Amazon ads and Facebook ads and all the things that you can do, things that I had no idea. I'm petrified of marketing. Like, I don't want to have to start making cold calls, which I was pretty sure that wasn't what it was, but I had to do that in my previous life and I hated it. Um, so the, the biggest thing about 20 books that I learned, and this is amazing, is the, the, the people that you meet your, and I'm holding up air quotes when I say competition are not your competition. If they did something and they did a really good job at it and, and they were able to sell a bunch of books at it, they are happy to tell you what they did. And that to me, again, I'll go back to my previous life. I would go to a trade show and I would set up my booth and there would be four or five of us selling the same basic piece of software and you would never talk to them. You wouldn't make eye contact with them. All you would want to do is try to steal their customers. And I go out to this 20 books with the same attitude that first year, that 2017 year, with that attitude of like, okay, I'm going to watch these people on stage, but why are they going to tell me their secrets? And everybody was so open. It was so amazing. And that's my favorite thing about 20 books. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? It really is. I love that collaborative element of it. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah. What are you looking forward to in Edinburgh this year? Uh, you're going to play some golf, I know. It's at Andrews, I think, aren't you? Yeah, I'm really going to do everything I can to play that old course. You can't, um, there's no, there's no, uh, uh, tea times left for, especially if you go up there by yourself, you can't really just play as a single, but I learned, I emailed back and forth with someone up there a couple months ago and she told me that you could go to the starter and put your name in there. And if there's like a twosome or a threesome that once will allow you to play with them, they'll let you play. And that she said, if you're patient, that usually happens. So I'm going to do everything I can to play the old course because that's basically where golf was invented. And I love golfing and I'm not even great at it. I'm just, I'm average, but, uh, I'm also looking forward to the, uh, to all the stuff in Edinburgh. I was looking at a video a couple of days ago about like 21 things to do in Edinburgh. And it was, there were so many castles and just anything that was kind of created pre, I don't know, 1800, 1700. I just want to walk around in it and see it. I love that stuff. Um, so I'm really excited other than just the, you know, the, the actual conference itself, which I'm excited about, um, being able to just kind of, there might be a day. So for example, if I'm able to play the old course on Friday, I might just get up on Saturday and jump on a train and go somewhere. I have no idea where, I don't know what exists. I don't know. I don't know the country at all outside of Edinburgh. Cause that's all the research I've done so far. But, um, if I can just find something, my sister has been there and she told me to go see, uh, you know, where Loch Ness is. Um, and that, that seems kind of touristy to me, but I'm okay being a tourist. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm just, I, I the historical stuff. Yeah, it's a nice castle at uh, Loch Ness as well. Uh, it's good for castles. It's a nice little area up there. But and and of course, b being from the US, you see, you're that seems like a long way for us to travel. Yes. But you don't think anything of it, do you? It's all in a day's work when you live in the US. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it, I'm amazed sometimes where I'll, I'll hear you talk and and you'll say something like, "Oh yeah, it's an hour and a half away," and I'll be like, "He's an hour and a half away from Saint." <laughs> From from the golf course that I want to play from St. Andrews and an hour and a half for me is like Columbus, Ohio. Who cares? And I love Columbus. That's where my book is set. But I've been there a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. The, the distances and the scales are completely different. Aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> when you hear a Brit and you know what you were saying earlier that you couldn't find a Coke when you were in 20 Books London. That's because we all drink tea in this country. I know, I don't drink tea. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, I went round New York trying to get a decent cup of tea and it took hours to find somewhere. We ended up in a museum somewhere that that sold you know proper tea the way us English like it. So yeah, we all have our problems, I guess, don't we? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, if I wanted tea and tiny sandwiches, I was in heaven at that conference. But boy, I wanted a Coke and I couldn't find one. <laughs> yeah, you do usually get a Coke actually. So yeah, they, they, I'm sure you'll get one at, uh, at Edinburgh. There must be Coke around. Um, yeah, so 20 books. Really looking forward to meeting you at 20 books. Um, uh, I, I should be looking out for you this time. You won't be able to escape me. Uh, uh, but uh, I must at least say hello and get a photo together. Uh, to, Absolutely. To stick on our page. So 
Now, one of the things um, that I know that you're just getting started with, you said your last email or your first email, I beg your pardon, last week is your email marketing strategy. So you've gone for MailerLite, I think, um, and you just started sending emails out. So tell me kind of what your strategy is going to be, because um, I enjoyed reading your first email actually this week. Oh, good. I'm glad. I um I have no problem being like uh, t- telling all about myself, like just talking about myself. Um, being telling personal stories. I'm going to probably open up about my personal life at some point. There's like a lot of good, there's a lot of bad in there. And I, I think, and I don't know if saying this out loud makes me sound arrogant because I'm, believe me, I'm not that person, but I actually think I have a pretty interesting life um, with all the things that have happened to me in the last 20, 25 years with, with all the, with my previous life and all the people I met during that point. And, uh, and the, you know, part of it is because I'm single and it's easy to just get up and go when I want to, I don't have any kids, but I'm probably going to do a lot of, um, talking about me. I had this idea in my head where my main character in my, in my series is a lot like me, even though I'll deny it if anybody ever asks. So I have a lot of good stories about myself from my you know, teens and twenties. And I thought about doing a segment where I said something like, did this happen to me or did this happen to my main character? And then tell a quick story and then answer it in my next email. So I think about doing something like that. Um, another thing that I talked about doing, and I think I talked about this on the podcast was the whole, here's what I'm reading thing. But then I could easily mix in, um, you know, newsletter swaps with people by putting their books in there and not, I don't want it to, I don't want it to sound like I'm, I'm shoehorning in, Hey, please go buy this book because they're advertising me too. So I think doing something like that should work. Um, and then talking about, just talking about the book, talking about what it took, why I decided to write it, how I came up with characters. You know, I, I, um, I casted everyone, I don't know if casted the right word there. I casted every one of my characters to a Hollywood actor or actress for the most part. There's a couple of them that are people in my life, but, uh, and I think it might be interesting to, to talk about why I made uh, my bad guy, Robert Downey Jr. from Iron Man, which I've never actually seen. So I only assume how he is. Um, so so I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to be super personal in this thing. I really have no problem talking about myself. Um, so I'm, that's probably going to be the biggest strategy is just try to make myself as interesting as possible so that people will want to keep getting the newsletter and stay on the newsletter. And then while they're reading the newsletter, oh, yeah, by the way, there's a book out or here's a free book, you know, things like that. Yeah, there's some really nice ideas in there. I think I might pinch a few of those off you, Jerry. Um, yeah, I, I think you, you're absolutely right. The more personal episodes I've done, I always get the better reaction. And the more honest I am in the podcast, you know, when you're going through the painful bits and things aren't going right, you always get the the biggest reaction I find from those uh, episodes. Uh, you're lucky that you find it easy. See, I don't find that easy. Um, but I think more personal you get, the better. So I think that's a good policy there. Um, how's the email marketing going you're getting the hang of it now and oh, i want to know about those subscribers you got were they were they genuine subscribers that you got that that little flurry you got yeah i don't think so i i looked i had about a, i think i had a 46 percent open rate uh i think i have 86 people up there and the majority if not all of them were from the first 45 or 46 that joined and it was my own fault i think i said i um I switched from MailChimp to MailerLite when they when MailChimp went through that that whole thing they did, and I figured, well, I haven't really started doing anything yet, so I might as well just switch now because it's easy to do for me. I can just export a list of forty people, import it into the new one, and just go like and change the code and, and go like it never happened. And for about five days, I forgot to put in any kind of um, opt in or or two factor or whatever it is that you call it. And I was getting, I remember I was in Nebraska that week and I was getting four, five, six a day. And I thought, this is great. And then after a while I was like, wait, this might be, this might not be right. And uh, so I checked a couple of days ago and of all the people that 
uh, opened the email. I don't believe any of the people from that little block of 40 or so opened it. And what I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to send two or three more emails, keep them on there for a while. And if they don't open, just probably get them off of there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, the other thing I want to ask you about as well is um, the wide versus KDP select debate. Oh. I, know you, <laughs> I know you've been agonizing about this for weeks. So at this moment in time, which one are you going for? And, you know, it doesn't help when you go on your podcast yesterday and just say, yeah, I'm going KDP. I'm going KDP. I've done wide. I'm, and I'm like, am I doing the wrong thing here? Um, it's funny because I went to uh, at 20 Books London last year. I walked up to Mark Dawson after his speech. You know, he had just switched over to KDP for one month and made this outrageous amount of money doing it. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, listen, I'm a new. Well, first I fanboyed for about 30 seconds and, and told him that I was a, a, a Patreon member going back a long time and I had a coffee cup. He didn't really seem impressed about that. But I did say, listen, I'm a new author. Uh, I'm re- going to release my first book. What would you suggest? Would you suggest KDP or would you suggest going wide? And he said KDP because you only have to learn one platform. And that was his idea. And then I started listening to other podcasts and I'm kicking it back and forth. And a lot of people say that when you go into KDP, you start making money and it's hard to get out of KDP. So, so that's one of the downfalls. And I started thinking to myself, but if you're making money, why do you want to get out? So I, that's, that's kind of another pro versus con. And I really kicked this around. But the thing that I think put me over the edge was I started hearing um, the, uh, Kinga, right? Is that her name from Publish Drive? Yes, Kinga Genetics, yeah. And, and, and I started hearing the way she was talking about um, – You know what? I don't have a specific example, but it seemed to me in listening listening to her that there were going to be a lot more um, newer ways to market that are going to be available to people who are wide than if you're in Amazon. And I've never been a person who had a problem with putting their eggs in one basket. If that basket's working, I'm okay with it. But the way that she talked about marketing, and she wasn't – I know she was trying to sell her service, obviously. But the way she was talking about it made a lot of sense to me where it was like, okay – you're going to be able to have more marketing possibilities. You're going to be able to reach more people. I love the idea of reaching Africa and Asia and South America. I, I don't even know why. I don't even know if it, you know the percentage of the sales are probably small, but I just love the idea of it. So that's the thing that put me over the edge to go wide was the ability to to get my book all over the world and not just you know the people that are are Kindle subscribers or Amazon users. So right now, as we speak, I am going wide. I mean, that's not changing. I have my D2D account and I have my published drive account all set up and I'm ready to go. Yeah, you see, I mean, I'm, I'm the same as you. I What I always wanted, I'm just getting my Kobo dashboard up now. What I always wanted was to sell all over the world. Now, I'm just trying to look at how many countries that I've sold in now. It's... Um, where is it, Kobo? 107 countries I've sold in now. Oh, my so, goodness. I love that. Yeah, right. But listen to this. This is the reality of it, Jerry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. I've only ever made. So I've shifted 14,555 books on Kobo. And wait to hear what my earnings are on Kobo. Of all time, £955. I know. I believe me. I know. I've heard you say it before, and I've heard other people say it before too. And uh, I, I've even told my sister, you know, you're writing romance. You need to go KDP because it's huge. Uh, romance is huge there. And but yet, I'm. I, I think I've also been terrible at following advice. I mean, I talked to Lindsay Baroker on Twitter before I even started writing novel one, and she and I asked her, "What's your advice for someone that's brand new?" And she just she wrote back immediately and said, "Before you publish book one, make sure you have the first three finished." And I'm going against that too, because even though they're in first draft state, they're not ready to go yet. I can't sell them. 
And uh, so I'm, I, maybe it's just I don't like following advice. That's pretty sad. <laughs> That's sad. Yeah, I mean, I because I hear Joanna Penn, I, I completely agree with her about longevity. You know, about that. You, I know, I know because I I built a software once. I mean, you'll appreciate this story. My my Facebook software. Um, we built a software a couple of years ago on Facebook's platform. They changed all the rules and, and everything changed, and then the, the 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 software was useless. So the lesson I learned was don't build on one platform. Do not build on one platform. So I absolutely get that. But when you've been on Kobo and shifted that many books and you've not even broken a thousand pounds, and yet you could do that in a month easily in, in Amazon, you have to go because you don't have a business if you don't sell any books. That's always my kind of bottom line. And that to me, objective number one is sell books. Objective number two then is that you can spread the load and be more strategic. But if you never sell any books, you don't have a business. You know, I actually agree with you there. That makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the things that's enabling me to just do this because I want to do it is that I love my my real job and I get paid well. And um, I think I have the ability to say, you know what, if this takes five or six years to get where I want to get, I'm okay taking that chance. And and there's nothing that says a year from now, if I'm not selling anything, I can't just start shoving everything into KDP just to see what happens. Yeah, well, that's true. And this is the joy of self-publishing, of course, that yep. we can just change it anytime we feel like it. Yeah, there was never a doubt when I when I heard about self-publishing and started hearing what what goes into it. There was that was one thing that was never a doubt in my mind. I was never going to send anything to an agent. I wasn't going to let somebody else tell me that it wasn't good enough except for the people that actually read it and buy it. Um so yeah, that I love the I you know, I'm half tempted to put a pre-order up right now on my I have a finished copy that I went through last night and and uh I went through Grammarly for about 4 hours with every chapter. It's ready to go, but uh and I'm half tempted to throw it up there. I sent it off to my mom last night and said, can you look at this real quick? It's only 450 pages. And, um, and I'm half tempted to put my, my pre-order up there. And if there's mistakes and I don't, and, and she fixes them and I put it up there three days before it's going live. So the, the, the bad copies up there for a couple of days, I, I don't care because it's, you can do that with self-publishing. It's so great. We were having a little chat before I started recording about how bad our gra- grammar is and our punctuation. Because oh, <laughs> you and me both suffer from that. And uh, I mean, no one ever died from a spelling mistake. That's my, that's what I've learned in sort of four or five years is that um, you you sometimes get these reports that you've got a few spelling mistakes in your book. Amazon will send them to you occasionally. I think uh, readers can report them. You put them right and they're done in 24 hours and and no one died. That's always my, my view of it. And I think if your book's riddled with them, that's a problem. But if you've only got a couple in there, most people don't even notice them. You didn't when you were proofreading it. So readers don't. Yeah. And, and I had, I tell you what, I had gotten it back from my copy editor last Saturday, eight days ago with the idea that, okay, I've got three, three weeks to go through her changes and get it up there. And she wrote at the very end of it. She said, listen, I'm not a proofreader. I did not do a proofread. I'm suggesting you get one because there are negative comments on Amazon about proofreaders. And it really, really, really bothered me that, oh, she's probably right. Like I knew she was right. And, and I did, I talked to a friend of mine for a while and she said, I noticed when there are errors, you know, I was reading a book that obviously wasn't spell checked. You should probably get a proofreader. And then I sent that tweet to you and, uh, and, and I said, what do you think? And you actually answered it in a way that I should have thought of. And I hadn't thought of yet, which was, Hey, you're doing this computer program. You put it out there with bugs, you know, you do it and then you fix them. And I'm like, you know what? That's, that's brilliant. That's exactly right. And and it makes so and, and I tell you what, if you would have said it to me a year ago or a year from now, maybe it would have resonated as much as much. But this week I'm putting a program out there that's gonna have bugs that I'm gonna fix. I mean, it's perfect timing. 
And so no one, for that. And, and no one will die in the process, will they, Jerry? That's... Exactly. I might <laughs> shut a plant down, but whatever. <laughs> yes. No one dies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I've been listening to that with interest because, you know, I think there are a lot of similarities in writing with uh, with the process of software creation. And, that you know, even Windows, even a company like Windows will have a big release of, say, Windows 10. And it's only when real people crawl all over it it's the same with software. It's the same with the book. When real people get it in their hands, that they break it and they find out what's wrong with it. And then you very quickly move in and release the patches. And the patches on a book are just put it right. And it takes 24 hours to do it. It's even easier than fixing a software, I think. Actually, with the software that I'm doing, all I'd have to do is copy it to the server. It takes 30 seconds. It's fantastic. So, And, and it's funny you mentioned uh, uh, Windows because I was trying to install an, a, a newer version of Visual Studio, which is the application I use to, to write my, my software, uh, on my computer about three weeks ago, and it completely broke my computer. Um, and I had to roll it back, and then I had to reinstall the old one. It was a good day and a half lost. And I'm th- I think I said to somebody, you know what? If Microsoft can put something out there that, that does that, why can't I put something out there that does it? Who am I? You know? I'm just some dope from Ohio. So, so yeah, it, um, it, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the process of hiring other people too, because you got your cover done and you've hired an editor now. Obviously, you've worked with your mum for quite a lot, but how did you get on with that hiring process and that selection process for, for, for your editor and for your cover? Well, the cover was um, the uh, honestly, I just really picked the first person I found and and they sent me samples and I really liked them and I said, yeah, that works for me. I really didn't shop around. Um, the 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 cover artist and and I've actually never said her name. Um, I hope she's okay with it. Is you know Meg Jolly Meg? I don't know her actual. I don't know how to, what what her name name is. But she um she did the cover. She had an an, uh, an advertisement in the twenty books newsletter that went out before two thousand seventeen. And I thought, well, that's perfect. It's twenty books. I'm learning a lot from them. I'll just send her an email. And we worked for about a week going back and forth on a design, and she created it for me. And it's fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. And uh, in terms of the editor, again, I went to the 20 books thread and there's a, there's that master thread in there. Um, and in there, I just, if you, if you just go, if you word search editor, you'll find an editor group where, where I think Craig just said, Hey, if you're an editor post here, that way people can find you. And I picked a couple people from there and, uh, I picked, actually picked the second one. I went with the second one. I liked her prices better. She sent, she, she did a sample of chapter one for me and, and, reading her fixes, it was the same feeling I got after I read the stuff that my mom changed or, or suggested I change. It was like, oh my God, this book is so much better right now. So it was really easy just to say, yeah. And she fit time-wise. It worked out time-wise. She was able to do it. And, uh, you know, it worked out really well. So let's just clarify uh, your plans then, because this this podcast is running on the 1st of July. And I know that you're aiming to release, you're trying to get your book out, I think by 20 books I think is that correct still? Yeah, it, it's it'll be out July 9th. I'm putting it up there regardless of where it's at. It'll be done. Good for you. Right, great. So July the 9th, it's coming out. So what what's the plan then around the main book, the novella, and then the, the follow-up books as well? What's your timescales? So what I want to do is I'm going to release this book on July 9th. So on July, what like 7th, whatever that weekend is, it would be the 5th and the 6th. So I'm going to be uh, in Nebraska this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm coming back Friday. I'm going to work about 50 hours in those four days. So it's very possible that on Friday, if nothing major happens, if I don't need to fix anything, uh, I'm just going to not work. I'm just going to take a day off. It's, it's not going to count against me because I worked 50 hours the previous four days. And I'm going to start researching those, um, those email a marketing service that Kirsten Oliphant 
did that that podcast 142 that she did that creative writing I, I talk about it all the time it's one of my favorite podcasts in terms of my marketing and I'm going to research maybe four or five of those companies and I'm gonna try to stagger them so they come out every couple days following my release. So it's a Tuesday. Maybe if I can get one out there Tuesday, then another one on Thursday, then another one on Sunday, something like that. And I'm going to offer it for 99 cents. It's going to be wide. And, um, and I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to try to track as best I can in Excel the days that I get sales so I can try to figure out who, which, which one of the email marketing works the best. And then when my novella is ready, and if it's not J- July 9th, which it probably won't be, it might be a week or two later, I'm going to put that out there and then I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to do the email marketing again, uh, 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 marketing for book one and try to get people to do it. All I really care about with book one and the novella is my mailing list. I don't care about how much money I make. I don't care about how many I sell. Obviously you want to sell as many as you can. I want people on my mailing list. That's all I care about. And that is a thing that was drilled into me from Mark Dawson's pub, uh, 101 course, which that's what he talks about. And then I'll have, um, so that'll come out. July 9th and then the novella will come out at some point. And then what I'll probably do is I'll do a newsletter. Um, just as I think I said today, just as people are starting to forget about me, maybe in August, I'll try to do another newsletter and maybe I'll just throw another one of those email marketing out there for 20 bucks or whatever it is. Uh, I just want to try to keep myself in the back of people's heads as much as I can. And then when book two comes out, I want, okay, I've said it before. I'm a dreamer. I'm an optimist. I'm the eternal optimist. I always think thinks I can do things a lot quicker than I can, but I want book two to be ready before 20 books Vegas in November. Now it's shorter. It's already written and I know how to edit better than I did a year and a half ago because I've worked with my mom for so long that I I know how to do it. Now, will I be able to get that done by, by the first week in November? I have no idea, but I would love to get it out there before 20 books Vegas so that when I get there, I can concentrate more on selling a series uh, uh, than I would be. And, and I'm going to anyway, but this would give me yet another book to, to think about as I was uh, listening to them speak. So, uh, and, and that book too is going to be free to my newsletter subscribers. I'm going to give it away. Uh, I'm going to, and then I'm going to, and when book two comes out, my goal is to anytime I have anything new coming out, whether it's a book, a novella, a short story, whatever it is, then do some email marketing, um, get my name out there and say, this is new. This is coming out. You start here. Um, Books one, two, and three have, um, they have their own entry point and you could probably pick up any of the three and start reading them, but it would make sense to start with book one. So uh, I'm going to work more on, on selling book one and, and, and giving it away. The, the last thing would be, you know, that Mark Dawson talked about was making book f- one free at some period of time. And I saw a post from, I think it was Craig or Michael in the 20 books thread that said, I don't make book one free until book three is available. So I'm, I may have a decision there of when I want to make book one free, but it will become free at some point also. Uh, the goal, uh, you know, it, I jokingly say I'm, I'm like a cocaine dealer here. I want to give a little taste and then when they want more, they got to pay for it. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, of course, this gives you a problem with the podcast because the title of the podcast is New Author Podcast. <laughs> and when that first book comes out, uh, you're no longer a, a new author. Um, you will be a, an author with experience. So and this is where it brings we bring your sister in because she's just joined you as a co-presenter on your podcast. Just uh, talk us through that because that's quite good timing, really. Yeah. So my sister and I have, I mean, we're both in our forties and I'm pretty sure going back to when we were kids, we've never fought once. We've always been like really great friends. And, uh, when I asked her to go to London, she was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do this. There was never any hesitation. And, um, 
So one one day about three weeks ago, maybe three and a half weeks ago, I was sitting in the conference room in Nebraska and I got this series of texts sent to me from her. And as far as long as I've known her, she's like she's like an adult, like she's she's confident and she always says what she feels. And maybe that's just to me. But, you know, she's just like me. We're both we both have smart mouths and everything. Well, this this um, these texts were like what if people don't like what you do and how are you going to feel when you get negative reviews? And, and I have this story in my head and I'm afraid to tell anyone. And I just went, Holy cow, this is a side of you that I don't know. And, um, I, I just basically said, well, first off, I don't really care what anybody thinks, you know, you write your story. And if you, if you like it, then, then that's half the battle. I always think of myself as like the everyman, like I'm just the normal guy out there. So any of the marketing and stuff I do, I do it based on what I think. And I'm sure I'll learn over time the real way to do it. But you know, she, I told her, I said, you just write it and you just put it out there and you see what happens. And then you learn from it and you write the next one. And if you have to correct it, you correct it. It's, it's really not that bad. I, I remember seeing people stressing over how their release. Oh my goodness. I have all this stuff to do. I don't know how much. And I used to think to myself, well, you just push the button and you just go and you just deal with it, you know, things as they come up. And I know that's probably simplifying and I hope that's not insulting, but that's just the way I feel. So I told her, I'm like, well, then write it. You should write it. And she's like, well, I don't want people to think that I'm being trying to be like you. And I'm like, why? This is amazing. This is going to be so much fun. Let's do this. So probably for a good two weeks, we just texted back and forth many, many hours a day where she would send me a paragraph and say, what do you think of this? And then I would say, well, here's what the mom is going to say. You need to put more description here. You need to put more emotion here. And then she would send it back to me and I'd send it back and she would send it back to me. And I'd say, okay, now read that one and read the first one you did. This is so much better. So then she started telling people and out of nowhere, about a week ago, uh, she just dove headfirst in this. I asked her to be on the podcast because I think it's going to be fun. Her and I, we have a, a good relationship and we, we, uh, we know each other really well and we can have fun talking back and forth. But she just, she's already got a website up. Um, she's already got plans for her, her series. She's talking about getting a cover. She's talking, she's already got podcast plans. She's having a caricature of the two of us drawn. So we have a new podcast icon or podcast image. I mean, she just dove head first in this, which shouldn't, shouldn't surprise me because I did the same thing when I started. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't care if she outsells me. She doesn't care if I outsell her. We're just, we're just going to have fun with it and go. Well, I really enjoyed the first episode. I thought it worked really well straight away. So well done on that. Good. And um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the podcast and I've learned a load from it. Uh, you know, I, you, you're mentioning books and resources all the time and I'm just rushing off and buying them straight <laughs> off. So I'm, I get tremendous value out of the podcast. So thanks ever so much for the time that you put into it. And uh, I just want to personally wish you the very best of luck with your first book launch. And I hope that I'll be patting you on the back and congratulating you when I see you at 20 Books in Edinburgh uh, in a couple of weeks' time now. So have a, a great flight and good luck with your software release as well. Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to meeting you too. And I'm, I'm sure there are people who actually listen to me that are going to be there because they listen to you. And I know you've pushed a lot of listeners my way, and I appreciate that. And yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting you. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait. That was sci-fi author Jerry Evanoff, and Jerry will be attending this year's 20 Books Edinburgh event, and that'll be his fourth 20 Books event, and his second in the UK. By the way, I've put all the links to Jerry's website and to his Twitter account. They're all on the resources page for this episode, episode 138. That's it for now. Don't forget to catch the next episode of my podcast diary on Saturday the 6th of July when I'll be running through my writer goals for quarter three of 2019 as well as updating you on my writing week. Until then, bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. 
Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.